ladies and gentlemen, it is that time again, broadcasting almost live from a secure bunker deep beneath an old Toys R Us. It's Tavern Voices. I'm your host, Kevin King, and with me, as always, is my co-host and Ryder Cup alternate foursome partner, Tyler Crawley. How's it going, buddy? I probably would have been a better addition than uh, than anyone else on. I I probably would have had a better record than uh, Tiger, Dustin Johnson, and Phil Mickelson combined. Because I think they had like one point among them. So it was awful. It was bad. It was bad. But then again, you know, I got into golf in '97, which like the first year Tiger played in a Ryder Cup. And I remember everyone getting like so hyped for it. They're like, this, our talent is so deep, and we're going to destroy them. And we've been awful the last like 20 years. So it's just sort of par for the course for me, but I do get why. Uh, Unintended, huh? Yeah, I know. Uh, but yeah, no. So I, I'm sort of used to it. I'm sort of used to like all the hype and then we just get smoked by guys who can't even finish in a top 10 in a major and yet they're beating our guys. So I don't, I don't know. It's just yeah, it's and bizarre. Not, I mean, I don't, I don't want to go all the way down that rabbit hole, but since we're on the subject, how about, um, how about Tiger's win? What was it two weeks ago now? Yeah. No, that was awesome. We I mean, I'll have a chance to talk about it. I don't think there was anything better for golf than like that's like the best cliffhanger. If the Ryder Cup had gone better, but you know, people don't really care about the Ryder Cup that much. But that was like the best cliffhanger for like that was the end of the season and Tiger wins and it's like <gasps> I mean it's like it's like a cliffhanger. Like when you watch a show, it's like, oh my gosh, the next season's gonna be amazing. And so everyone's now pumped for twenty nineteen, even more so to have Tiger win the last tournament. I mean, it's like a golfer's dream so, and all this nostalgia. It's just, it's, it's, it was awesome. There's no doubt about that. I mean, the crowds were like insane. I mean, I don't think I haven't seen that level of excitement in sports in a while. I mean, it was just, it was just like pure, like awesomeness. So no, no, there were thousands fun. of people marching behind him. It was, it was pretty killer. Yeah. And I mean, like, and it wasn't, I mean, it was just, I mean, it was pure excitement about the game of golf and to have Tiger back. I mean, that's what was really cool to me was that it was truly about Tiger and like everyone rooting for him and his own hard work got him back. And it's just, it's awesome. It's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. And, and I did also real quick, Tyler, um, you know, the reason this is our first episode in what, three or four weeks now is we had a little bit of a, of a hurricane problem and I wanted to see how things are going down there on the, uh, on the coast for y'all. They're good. I mean, luckily I was in Wilmington, which despite being ground zero for Hurricane Florence, uh, we actually didn't hit that bad. Uh, Oddly, and you know, everyone watching on television thought like Wilmington was going to get just smoked. And luckily the storm was a cat one when it actually made landfall. But it was the surrounding areas. The actually, and it it wasn't even the surrounding areas, the inland areas. Like the beaches got hit pretty hard. Like Topsville, Carolina Beach saw some flooding and some damage. But it was the inland areas where the flooding just was just, I mean, just horrendous and horrific. And, you know, I think I think at the end of the day, it was like 25 people died. But like I said, a lot of it was inland. It was flooding. And so Wilmington and the surrounding areas and the beach areas were not that bad. It was like the Brunswick County, uh, Pender County uh, uh, inland areas where just we're not ready for those floodwaters. So I personally, when I got back to my house, uh, power was on, cable was working. I mean, like a little bit of damage, but nothing too bad. And uh, so I, I escaped pretty well, um, but others not 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 so much. But my, me personally, I'm back up and running, and uh, it wasn't it wasn't that bad for me, uh, luckily. That's good. So so what you're saying is you you have had a, a better couple of weeks than uh, than Judge Kavanaugh. <laughs> yeah, who would have thunk it? 
Uh, I mean, it, it was uh, it was crazy that because the storm hit and we were, you know, I was on the air. You know, we were broadcasting 24 seven throughout the storm. And, um, you know, Kavanaugh gets nominated and then all of a sudden the storm's over and I go back to the news and I'm like, what is going on? Like, I mean, all of a sudden he's like a serial rapist. Uh, just the craziest stories have come out about this Kavanaugh situation. But I'll tell you, Kevin, it wouldn't be 2018. It wouldn't be 2018 in a national story if not for some way to North Carolina to find a way to get a connection to it. And we actually saw that happen on Sunday as the executive director of the North Carolina Republican Party, Dallas Woodhouse, tweeted his thoughts about the third Kavanaugh accuser, Julia Swetnick. Woodhouse tweeted on Sunday that Miss Swetnick, quote, is a criminal. One way or another, she was either a part of some massive criminal conspiracy to facilitate child rape as an adult, or more likely she lied to Congress and her attorney knew it. She should go to prison, period. Now, not surprisingly, the News and Observer picked up this story and Drudge tweeted about it. And as shocking as some made this out to be, Dallas Woodhouse's opinions were not limited to him. Harvard law professor Alan Dershowitz tweeted on Sunday night that, quote, Swetnick affidavit should be thoroughly investigated by the FBI and her alleged witness names and questioned if perjured, there should be consequences. And so, Kevin, the buzz sentence over the last two weeks has been released a statement under the penalty of perjury. So everyone that's been releasing these statements knows that they are under the penalty of perjury. If Swetnick is in fact committing perjury, shouldn't she be punished for it? Otherwise, what are these threats worth? Well, I mean, everyone should, right? I mean, isn't it the whole point? That's what everyone keeps saying about Kavanaugh, about the the witnesses, the witness statements. Um, you know, if if they are lying, there is a big problem. And they said it was under you know threat of of a felony. Uh, that was mentioned probably more times than I would care to count <laughs> during the hearings. That just kept getting brought up and brought up and brought up. So yeah, I mean, if anyone at any point has has made false statements under oath, that's a major issue. I mean, at one point we, um, you know, we almost had a, a president removed from office for purging himself. And I mean, granted it was under the similar circumstances that, um, you know, the, well, a similar topic, shall we say that, that Clinton was in trouble for, uh, for committing perjury for and, and almost got removed for it. So, um, you know, I think that there should be some sort of standard, but then again, Tyler, as, as your question goes, will anyone ever be punished for, uh, for these kind of actions? No, I mean, I, I mean, what's, what's crazy to me is they keep threatening it, making a big deal about it and saying like perjury, perjury, perjury and, and stressing it. But yeah, I mean, if no one ever gets punished, it becomes a meaningless threat and that actually will encourage more people to come forward and lie and, um, and, and like I said, if, if no one gets punished for it, then the threat of perjury and being punished for committing perjury goes out the window. And I'm glad you brought up Clinton because that's the other funny thing about the whole, you know, it's like I'm, you know, amazing Democrats are all of a sudden excited about perjury charges again. When, you know, before when it was perjury about sex, it was no big deal. But now it's perjury about, is it boofing? Is that the, is that the thing he's being accused of that Senator Whitehouse was all obsessed with? Boofing that, that, like, that was the flatulation, wasn't it? Yeah, well, he was claiming it wasn't. Well, so that what, what the argument <laughs> is is that he knows that boofing because apparently boofing is to uh, take uh, alcohol rectally. Uh, it's also known as budge uh, butt chugging, I think. 
And so they were asking <laughs> what boofing was. And he was saying it's flatulence. And they're like, it's not flatulence. It's, it's taking uh, alcohol rectally. And I'm like, wait, so this is it? You guys are going to – he's not ready for the Supreme Court because – he didn't want to say what butt chugging was <laughs> like, but Clinton like lies and it's, oh, it's no big deal. Sex is no big deal. But, but lying about what boofing is automatically unqualified for the Supreme Court. Like that's, that to me is some stretching, I will say. Well, could, could Chuck Grassley not have brought in someone from like Urban Dictionary? <laughs> I think that would have helped just really clear these waters. Well, but clear did, them right out. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's the only reference point when people are like that's not what boofing is boofing boofing i'm like so what 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 is your what is your 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 proof of that oh well the urban dictionary really you want to go into court with the urban dictionary and go oh excuse me but i believe the kavanaugh has committed perjury because the urban dictionary clearly states listen you can look up any word no matter how benign and look it up on the Urban Dictionary, and someone will have found a way to turn it into a sexual term. So the idea that like the Urban Dictionary is like the standard for slang, true, you can find things on there. But just because the Urban Dictionary says something does not make it gospel. And I just, I just would love to see the Democrats in court talking about how the Urban Dictionary says boofing is this, and therefore Brett Kavanaugh can't be on the court because the Urban Dictionary says so. I mean, talk about Pandora's box. <laughs> it's like I, th- I mean I think we're already at that point. I mean, this is I, I will tell you this. I um I, w- I was talking to someone recently and I said I- I'm really glad that I've kind of curated a a tw- a a group of people on Twitter that I follow who are really I don't want to say in the middle. I would say they're very much conservative, but they're not pro Trump populists. Uh, they're not leftists. They're not statists. They're not Nazis. Um, you know, you being one of them, Pete Callender in Asheville being one of them. Uh, and then a couple of the people from National Review that you've actually uh, pointed me towards, like Charles Cook. And mm-hmm. um, then I follow like Jonah Goldberg, who I'm you know, still reading his book uh, that recently came out about uh, um, death of a populism and tribalism. Yeah. What, was, what was that? What was the name of the book? It was like the death of a superpower or that was a Buchanan. Uh, Suicide of the West. Suicide of the West. Suicide Suicide of the West. That's right. Death of a superpower, I think, was Buchanan's, I think. Maybe. Um, You know, so I follow a group of people that really have helped me sift through because I I, I can't sit and watch these hearings all day, every day. Um, And I'm sure not going to get a good story from really any news outlet, you know, because CNN, Fox, MSNBC, they're all going to be in their own corner. So I've actually been able to kind of get to the bottom of of the story, the underlying it. And I bring this up because I think that that is what people have got to do is find some people who will not just regurgitate what you're thinking, but are independent thinkers and will call things out as they see them. Um, and and I, I think that's been very helpful for me to try to to try to understand exactly what's going on b- between the headlines, which the the media malpractice on this on on these hearings in Kavanaugh is so egregious, it blows my mind. They are proving Trump's point of fake news, and it, it drives me crazy because there's no need for it. The, the journalism and, and the fourth estate should be a real thing. Well, what's really amazing about it is, you know, let's face it, the people you mentioned, National Review, like myself, Peter Callender, some others, like, you know, we're pretty, I don't want to say never Trump, but we're very critical of Trump. But I'll tell you, there is like 100% 
um, unity on that issue of – I mean, it's just like you said. It just shows the left is like insane. And the, there are still some like the Joe Scarboroughs, you know, who I think are leaning a little too far to the left. And they're like, oh, no, Kavanaugh is horrible and awful and everything else. Um, but here's the thing that really that really just sort of drives me nuts is that the left is slowly realizing that their attempts to portray Brett Kavanaugh as a serial rapist might not be working because no one's believing it. But they've decided instead to now portray him as a villain from a John Hughes movie. The Democrats hope that if people think he's Johnny from the Karate Kid, he can not only sweep the leg, but it's also he's also will be extremely unlikable. Now, in order to bolster this claim, they found someone with an even whiter name than Brett Kavanaugh, Chad Livingston. Livingston is a North Carolina State professor who was a classmate of Kavanaugh's and saw him drink a lot in college. And sometimes Kavanaugh supposedly even slurred his word. Uh, now, what this has to do with rape, I'm not entirely sure, but they're running with it. And I believe he's actually talking to the FBI today, or he did talk to him uh, today. Kevin, if drinking to excess is a disqualifying trait for the Supreme Court, when are we going to impeach Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who passed out after drinking too much wine, State of the Union in 2015? Is that factual? Did that really happen? Yes. No, she remember when she fell asleep in 2015? And then she came out and was like, oh, I guess I had too much wine. And I was drinking like Opus something. And she actually said, yeah, she had too much wine and fell asleep. Huh. I, I, I will admit I didn't know that. But yes, I mean, she should be thrown off the court. <laughs> I that- mean, so Kavanaugh did it in college. She does it on the bench wearing the robe. And they're like, that's OK. Well, I, you know, I lady. think it's clearly what has come out in this uh, in these hearings is that the American people have a huge problem with drinking unless you are driving then it is totally fine you you drive off a bridge um duis i mean i think half of congress has a dui right i mean isn't that the, yeah, the, the point that we're at but if you did it in college and did not drive that is a major major problem yeah i mean it's 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 yeah it's crazy i mean i'm well, i mean one other thing I wanted to bring up on on this particular story that you brought up, being that this is a NC State professor, and and you know when we were in college, Tyler, we had a group of friends. We knew we knew quite a few people. We were on television on campus, right? I mean, true, we, we, we got recognized at a bar one time. You know, we, <laughs> we were pretty much famous, right? And no one would be there. Couldn't be this many witnesses to our behavior. These people coming out of the woodworks, like, did they, is Yale really that small that everyone there knew exactly everything that Brett Kavanaugh was doing? It's kind of mind blowing that there are this many witnesses. Yeah, well, what's weird is how many witnesses there were apparently in college, but none in high school. (laughs) Like one year, all of a sudden it's like big brother. But the year before, they can't find one person to corroborate anything that uh, Christine Blasey Ford is talking about. So they went from like no witnesses to now like every single person that went to Yale. But what I think is funny is, is like, what does this prove? It's like, okay, yeah, so he drank. And like I said, I, I truly do believe that they have decided to focus on the fact that he seems like a villain from a John Hughes movie because they because people didn't like that guy, right? Everyone knows the guy in school who was like perfect, right? Like he has parents who were rich. Uh, you probably had a car, like he was on the football team, the basketball team, he's going to parties, like the guy that was killing high school, like crushing it, like doing a great job. Cause most people don't like high school and there are a few that succeed. And so not only was he like a, a cool guy in high school, but apparently now he's going to be on the Supreme court. 
like so i think what they're trying to do is get everyone to hate him uh through like jealousy and the hopes that i will turn everyone off and public opinion will sour and then and then force will be trump to to um uh pull his name because that's the only thing i can think of because it has nothing to do with rape it's like proving that he drank too much in college doesn't prove that he raped someone and even though it does prove that he, you know, cause he said that, Oh, I didn't, I never blacked out or that. So even if you can't prove that, it still doesn't prove the rape. And I think what they're trying to do is make him unlikable. And I don't think it's a bad strategy. People, you know, making someone unlikable can make, you know, Trump look at the you know, polls and go, well, I guess we got to pull his name. So I, I get the strategy, but to me, it's just like insane that they're trying to act like they're, they're, they're the same thing. Like, Oh, well, that's- well he must've drank too much. So he's a rapist. No, that, that's exactly right. It's 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 guilt by loose association. It's it's what what do they call it? Like a logical fallacy, where you say, well, yeah. if this is true, then therefore everything else must be true. Yeah. Um, and this is straight out of the Saul Alinsky playbook. I mean, this is rules for radicals. It tells you in the book if you can't beat someone's policies, you attack their character. I mean, it's 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 in the book. It's an entire chapter, um, and 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 that's exactly what they're doing. They're saying, okay, well, instead of say, because I think I think they realize that his policy isn't what they're going to be able to take him down on because he's a moderate Bush era Republican judge. I mean, the libertarians and the Ron Paul and 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 that whole section of political philosophy hate him based on his decisions on like mass surveillance and the Fourth Amendment, right? So it's not like he's some sort of strict constitutionalist. He is not the um, not the Scalia on the bench. He's going to be much more of a John Roberts. And so I think that they they think the only way to to defeat him is to take him down based on character assassination. And let, let me be upfront about this. We don't know if this is true or not. I think that's been the whole point of a lot of things I've seen you tweet. Um, SC Cup had a segment about this, you know, saying, if you think he's guilty, you're, you're you just want to believe he's guilty because there's no proof. And if you think he's innocent, you just want him to be innocent because there's also, you know, it, it's not been decided yet. So you really have people blindly saying one way or the other, either 100 percent he's an awful person or 100 percent he never did anything wrong. And it's somewhere in between. That's ultimately well, what's yeah, going to come and, out. And real quick, what I wanted to say is I'm glad you brought up about him being sort of an establishment Republican is that this is exactly who the left has been talking about. Like, oh, Donald Trump is, you know, he goes against the norms and you know, all of a sudden the, the press is like, man, we miss George W. Bush. And, you know, we miss Mitt Romney and these moderate Republicans. And, oh, John McCain was such a hero. And it's like, so here they are. Given this opportunity, what they've been clamoring for, what they've been, oh, we missed this. We put someone up and they're like, rapist. It's like, you guys, you've lost all credibility in my eyes because you really don't hate Donald Trump. You just hate any Republican. And Donald Trump gives you a lot of material. But here here we are putting someone. I mean, this is a guy who feeds the homeless, who's got like an impeccable record and everything seems perfect. And yet you're still treating him like he is Donald Trump. So all this BS about like, oh, if we could just get like a moderate established Republican and then they get one and they call him a rapist. So they're all they're full of crap. I mean, I, I, I think that you're very, very much onto something there. And I had something else I wanted to say on that point, but my mind went completely blank. So I didn't do that to people. So I apologize. I'm, I'm just in awe of what it. Oh, no. What I was going to say is, you know that you and, and I think this is ultimately what is going to happen is, you know, you've messed up when you've made the entire right side of the aisle unite behind Lindsey Graham. That's yeah, how you screw up. 
that and the fact that I don't know if you saw this. It was a it was a thread on Twitter, um, but there was a um, the person who founded one of the um, major left wing groups like Moms Rising or something like that had tweeted out something about how Lindsey Graham had gerrymandered South Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> for his own benefit. Yeah, for his own benefit. And so when we figure out how to gerrymander an entire state, we'll have to to circle back on that. But um, it was basically pointing out how he's an awful person and all that kind of stuff. But we could get way into the to the weeds. Um, and I, and I kind of want to switch gears a little bit because we have talked on this show about how the federal net neutrality fell through, and somehow we're still on the air. Somehow everyone still has internet service. Cell phones still seem to work. They're not having to pay $500 a month to access Netflix. Everything seems to be going fine. Here we are, you know, what it, it, beginning of January is when they said things would really kick in. I, I believe was the date. And we're, we're most of a year in. And I think everything's fine. But just to be safe, I don't know if you've heard about this, Tyler, but California had passed its own statewide net neutrality just to make sure that that people would still be able to access their Netflix. So this took uh, – they passed it a, a little while ago and it actually went into effect over the weekend. And what the law does is it bans internet providers from blocking, throttling, or otherwise discriminating against lawful content on their networks. So one example of this is let's say that you have AT&T. Part of their plan on AT&T is that you can stream your direct TV app without um, without any data caps. So you can watch all of the AT&T um, content that you want through the DirecTV app because they are the same company. So it's a, it's a bundle for them. If you subscribe to DirecTV and AT&T, you can watch all you want with, with no streaming data caps. So that doesn't affect your, your overages. And there's something similar that I, I believe I've seen advertised on TV with like T-Mobile where you can stream all the Netflix you want. Um, I think maybe one character has a spot of, uh, one carrier has a Spotify uh, deal where you can stream all the music you want. It doesn't affect your data plan. So According to the new net neutrality bill in California, this is now illegal. And so people are going to be kicked off these plans because uh, the carriers are discriminating against content because they're saying you can stream direct TV for free. But if you use, say, Sling TV, that's going to affect your data. So clearly they have the consumers in mind when they pass this bill. So, Tyler, my question is this. Are you worried that North Carolina will be next and that it will affect your ability to stream Project Runway? (laughs) <laughs> first of all that's i'm not that concerned because i got them all on box set dvd <laughs> so i just watch old ones <laughs> um but no i mean what's so funny about that is that you know it, it's funny because we we're just talking about uniting the right uh but there's one area where i could still find criticism with donald trump it's it's economics and his economic arguments like make my my, my ears bleed and one of them, besides Trey, which is the biggest one, but the other one is you know, the merger with AT&T and, and um, uh, who, who's AT&T merging with Time Warner. And he's trying to block it because you have a content creator and a content distributor. And oh, my gosh. And it's like anyone that thinks that is living in like medieval times, like not the restaurant, but like the actual times, because <laughs> it's it, yeah. it's, it's a circus. Uh, I, wanted, I wanted to clarify that because <laughs> since there's no cable TV in medieval times, there is no cable TV at medieval times. But it's because we live in this place where almost everything is vertically integrated, where content creators are distributors, and that's the way that it is. And AT and T and Time Warner are trying to merge. To, to save face, to try and like save their companies because people like Netflix and others 
are both creators and distributors. And so I look at this as the same thing. Like, so if you're buying cable TV from AT&T and so you get uh, direct TV now for free, like that's just one of the ways they're trying to sweeten the deal. Um, but it, it gives nobody an unfair, if the product is crappy, if direct TV now is crappy, no one's going to buy it. I don't care if it's because you get internet and like, oh, it'd be so much better. If it's a bad product, they're not going to buy it. Uh, and if they're losing money, I know that one of the other concerns I'm sure is probably, you know, monopolies. Oh, they're going to charge two less, uh, not enough money. And then it, first of all, that, that doesn't happen. It, it, it doesn't work in the long run. So all these fears, like most fears when it comes to liberals and capitalism are completely unfounded. And it actually, as you point out, is worse for the consumer. And that's exactly what's happening here. And yeah, net neutrality. First of all, the, and here's the other bigger problem is that this is either a national decision or a state state decision. And this is what drives me nuts about liberals. And sometimes Republicans do it, but for the most part, it's liberals, is that they think the government is in control of everything, the federal government, until they lose power, the federal government, and then all of a sudden states' rights are the biggest thing that they love. And this is a great example. But I'm sorry, but California does not have the right to do that because they've already said that as a federal government responsibility. So the federal government's not involved, then California can't get involved. But if they want to be states, then fine. But you can't just go back and forth depending on who's in power. That's not how rights work, either the federal government or the state. And they've already said the federal government's in charge of this. So sorry, California, you're probably going to lose in a lawsuit. Well, and that's the update is the Justice Department has filed a suit against California. Of course. So we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll see how this goes. But, you know, the last point I wanted to mention on this, too, is that a lot of people don't they don't follow the dollars and they they use a service and they don't realize how they're paying for it or who is paying for it. They, they think things are free. Right. And I think that's the whole presumption of this net neutrality deal is that somehow um, if they don't protect the neutrality of the net, which still makes no sense in, in the nomenclature, but um, that, that somehow these evil corporations are going to um, just you know pillage the average person, which is their consumer. And they don't realize that. I mean, your ten dollars a month for Netflix. I mean, Netflix doesn't make any money. Right. They break even. They just pump it all back into content. It's not like they're someone's out here just running away with all this money because they know that you'll pay nine ninety nine a month for Netflix or the fact that that data that they're not charging you for watching direct TV is coming out of the back end somewhere. Or if they want to give a, a, a fast lane to Netflix and Netflix wants to pay AT&T a billion dollars or something. So you get your Netflix faster. That's benefiting everyone. I don't I don't know who's losing by this. Well, like I said, if it was a bad product, people aren't going to buy it just because it's bundled. I mean, let's face it. There's, <laughs> there's a reason that every time you see an ad for cable TV, they're, they're, they're hyping their VoIP phone because most people don't buy it um, because people are you know using cell phones. They're not doing the phone. So they keep trying to bundle it and find ways. And I guarantee you the numbers have not gone up very much because why? People they don't need it. And so if DirecTV is a bad product, whether they bundle it or not – might give it an advantage on the initial, like the initial sort of, hey, let's try this. But if it's bad, people are going to go, you know what? I'm going back to Sling or I'm going to go to wherever. But if it's a bad product, it's going to be bad. So it might give them an initial bump. But if it's a crappy product, I mean, look at Internet Explorer. I mean, remember Internet Explorer they thought was going to take over the world. And what happened? It became a crappy browser and everyone started going for something else like Firefox or Google Chrome or whatever. And so it didn't matter that it was bundled in your Windows People still are choosing to download something else. In fact, I think there was a joke online that Internet Explorer's uh, main purpose was to be used to download Google Chrome <laughs> because it became such a bad browser. 
And so it didn't matter that it was bundled. It was free and people were still like, no, nah, I'm gonna take the time to download something else because this sucks. And so if it's a bad product, they're not gonna buy it. No. And yeah. so there's no there's no fear for the consumer. No, you're right. And I think consumer choice is really something that I think we're gonna see um, you know, really start to affect the the higher education field, which is something that we love to talk about here on this show. And Tower, they have rolled out this brand new program called NC Promise. The UNC system has just launched a new marketing campaign for this aimed at bringing awareness to new tuition plans that took effect this year. As part of the 2016 legislation, three UNC schools will have a $1,000 a year tuition for in-state students, and all UNC schools will now have a locked-in tuition rate if you stay in that particular school for all four years. You're, You're locked in. Well, my issue with it is this, though. This new ad campaign that they're running is going to cost a million dollars to run TV, internet, and uh, and radio ads, which by my state school math comes out to about a year's worth of scholarships for a thousand students that we're spending just to advertise it. So, Tyler, don't we pay a lot of teachers and counselors in our high schools to talk about this stuff with students? You say they're buying radio ads? Yes. I totally support that idea. That's a great idea. <laughs> They're not buying they podcast ads, apparently. <laughs> I'm on the radio too, so I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, spend that, spend that Sell money. Out. As long as it's coming to me, I'm good with it. No, I mean it's. <laughs> I'm a capitalist first, Kevin. Sorry, but I mean, yeah, I mean it's. The, this is the problem you have with government. This is why government should not be involved in a lot of things. It's like the lottery. They spend a lot of money advertising the lottery, and it's like, wouldn't we better off spending that money on education? Like. Aren't people aware there's a lottery? I mean, half the lottery advertising is them advertising, you know, new games. And the thing is, yeah, that's what you should be doing. And but it's you know, because I mean, let's face it, advertising works. It does. Uh, that's how you get new products out there. It's how you, I mean, so yeah, advertising is I think important. But the problem that you run into is that how does government do it? Because every dollar that government spends on advertising is money that could be going to something else, and it's not like a private sector business. Where you know you have where the, the the purpose is is you're trying to, you know, increase profit and get people to buy more products. Yeah, you're trying to do that with a lottery, but it's hard to figure out what your ROI is. It's hard to figure out how successful it is. And some people would say, well, people know about the lottery; it's monopoly. You can't go buy another product. I remember who was there. There was one comic who made a uh, did a stand up bit where he was talking about the U.S. postage stamps advertising. And he says, why are U.S. monopolies advertising? He's like, why else would I? He's like, of course I have to go buy a stamp. He's like, when I glue 32 pennies to an envelope, it doesn't get there. So I have to buy U.S. stamps. Why are you telling me to buy it? If I have to buy one, I'm going to go buy one. And the lottery is kind of the same thing. thing. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, it was was another guy. It was a guy from Boston. I can't remember his name. Um, But the the purpose is is that you, 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 if you're going to buy a lottery ticket, you only have one place to go. There's, there's no other place. It's a monopoly. So to me, I, I get it. The problem is, is a lot of government, we're talking about their, their products that are monopolies and advertising doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's the problem you're always going to run into uh, with this, this fusion uh, where the government is in charge of things the private sector should be doing. And then they could figure out how much they should be spending on advertising versus not. And it's, it's just, it's like I said, it's just the problem with government being involved in things they have no business being involved in. Yeah, I mean, I call it the the. Uh, you remember the children's book? If you give a mouse a cookie, 
it's that for government. It's every time you, you go forward. And that's what people don't anticipate is that ripple out. So we started the lottery. The money's supposed to go to education. But then you've got to say, well, we need to make sure that we're keeping those revenues up. So we need you know, to turn 10% back into advertising. That 10% will, will return us 15 or what have you. And then they have to keep that up. And then they keep growing that budget. Every, every year they come back to the state and they want to spend more money on advertising. But then people go, yeah, but there's some people who saw the advertising, started gambling, and they can't quit. So now you need to take a portion of that and dump it back into a hotline. And you need to get resources for people who are gambling and can't quit. And so then all of a sudden, you've got even more money going out. And then they say, well, we need to spend more advertising. You bring in more revenue because now we're spending on, on rehab for people who saw our commercial to go get a scratch-off ticket. And it, it never ends. It never ends. Well, and it should also be noted that the other problem with the lottery is essentially what's happened is that instead of it being additional money, it just becomes part of the pot. So let's say we're spending $100 million in tax revenue on education in the state, and then all of a sudden we're getting $10 million in supplemental income from the lottery. What they were doing is they're then subtracting $10 million from the overall budget and saying, oh, but you're getting that with the lottery money. That's the problem with the lottery. It has not become a bonus fund. It has now just become part of the pot. And so what's happening is they then, you know, remove this is back this is back when the, you know, the lottery was first, you know, happening and the Democrats were so gun ho, is that they cut education spending in line with the lottery revenue. And that's the exact opposite of what it was supposed to be a supplemental source. And it just became money that was, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, it balanced out. The bottom line was still the same. That wasn't the purpose of it. So really what we're doing is we're getting people hooked and gambling away their money and we're not getting any additional money into the into the uh, educational system. So it's, it was a scam from day one. Oh, I, I completely agree with that. And the last point that I'll bring up from this article about the um, about this new million dollar uh uh, advertising campaign is the last sentence of this says many people aren't aware of the fixed tuition, which gives students certainty on the price of a UNC education and an incentive to stay in school. How who, who's not telling them what is this not part of their admissions process? So we've got it. They're going to have to hear it on Pandora. That That's what I I just don't understand the logic behind it. That's all. Yeah. I, well, I, I mean, if someone is already unaware of it, I don't think a 30 second commercial is really going to make them be like, Oh, I didn't know. Like they're probably tuning out pretty strong. They're not really, either they don't care um, or they're not going to understand. So. Well, yeah. And I I think this goes to point out that you have people signing their life away in student loans without understanding the cost. Right. Cause I mean, this is just one aspect of them not understanding what's going on. And that's why as much as, uh, UNC President Margaret Spelling says, quote, um, it's pretty darn close to meeting our constitutional mandate of as free as practicable. Um, they're not addressing the cost, actually. They're just subsidizing it. And um, and and why does it cost? What, what's it up to now? Probably 20000 a year, full everything in to oh. go to UNC. Um, so, so they can say what they want. But, I mean, there are major problems here. And I think this is just a probably not even a Band-Aid on the wound. No, I mean, not even close. I mean, there's going to be, there's a reckoning that's coming for colleges and it's going to happen. I mean, we got a trillion dollars in outstanding student loans. I mean, at some point something's going to have to happen because this, 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 this path cannot last for too much longer because the, the, the cost benefit, um, is, is, is going negative quick. Uh, the yield curve is inverting because the, the value of your education, um, with more and more people getting a college degree and more and more people going to school, 
and the higher the cost gets, this, uh, you know, because back in the day, everyone, you know, because it still is true. The unemployment rate for college students is lower than un, than, than kids that didn't go to college. Um, and you still make more money over your lifetime. But with this new debt and what it's costing students is that that curve is is uh, inverting. And it's, it's not going to make sense for people to borrow that much money. And then when that happens, well, that's all she wrote. And you're going to see people stop going to college. And all of a sudden, you're going to see a reversal. And uh, there's a reckoning coming. Uh, for these colleges, and so I'm, I hope they've hope they've saved up for a rainy day because uh, it's going to start raining pretty soon. So what you're saying is that you were in an an inverted negative G. Is that what I'm picking <laughs> up from that? Yeah, I was actually trying to go more like Dark Knight type stuff, but okay. <laughs> oh, oh well, I was oh, quoting well, all talk, the Dark Knight stuff. Bomb, the Dark Knight <laughs> Rises, you know, like a reckoning's coming and raining and all that. So. I was going to do my Bane impression. <laughs> you're, you're more Bane capital than Bane, but. <laughs> I couldn't even do the voice. Like, I, I can't even remember, like, some of his quotes. Like, I was trying to think of someone. I couldn't even remember any. Like, the world is yours. Like, I can't even do it. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's a phenomenal impression. And probably where we should end this great episode of Savern Voices. I'm Kevin King. That was um, Tom Hardy, a.k.a. Tower Crawley. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back again next week with another great episode. Until then, check out tavernvoices.com for all kinds of articles, news, updates, other podcasts, things of that nature. And uh, we'll we'll talk to you soon, Tyler. All right, man. See ya. Go on, then. Do your work. 